Hello everybody. This sermon continues our series on the Spirit in Action, looking at the book of Acts. And today we're looking at Acts 13, 1 to 12. And the title of this sermon is The Work of the Spirit in a Time of Change. Change. Do you relish it or do you fear it? To describe 2020 as a year of change would be to make a great understatement. The coronavirus has rocked almost every aspect of our lives. There has been change to the way we communicate, the way we shop, the way we work, the way we travel and the way we relax. The crisis has changed the way we think about the world and the significance of our lives. It has even changed the way we do church. We do not know how permanent these changes will be, but by the way we keep getting told to accept a new normal, we know that some of them are going to be around for a while. I find that phrase, new normal, very destabilising. It upsets me every time I hear it. Maybe you feel the same. Maybe you, like me, have been looking for some help in order to face up to it. As Christians, we believe there is one thing that does not change, and that is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word is also unchanging. It's there, set in our Bibles for us to read. But that does not mean it is dead. Every time we read God's word, we discover that it is alive and ready to speak into the exact situation that we find ourselves in. In our reading today, we discover the resource we need to face a time of change. That resource is God's Holy Spirit. When we seek the Spirit out and intentionally make space for the Spirit in our lives, we discover that periods of great change need not lead to collapse. In fact, they can become great opportunities for witness. So how does this work? What does the Holy Spirit do? To answer those questions, we need to first understand the context of Acts 13. We need to appreciate the great changes that the early church were facing. As we return to the book of Acts, we find ourselves caught up in the great Pentecost push. As Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his followers out to spread the gospel, first in Jerusalem, then on to Judea and Samaria, and then out to the ends of the earth. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit came to empower this work, and a great whirlwind of activity began, including teaching, healing, feeding the poor, and the baptism of new converts. The pressure then escalated, and the movement accelerated when Stephen was killed for his faith, and the apostles were scattered right across the Mediterranean region. Through all this, the message that these believers were to spread did not change. They were to speak of Jesus and the good news of the cross and resurrection, but almost every other circumstance of their life did. Before they were fishermen, now they were missionaries. Before they were nobodies, now they are persecuted as dangerous radicals. The people in their lives have totally changed. Before it would have been the family and friends of a close-knit rural community, Now, as our passage begins, you have a Cypriot Jew, a black African, a North African, a man with royal connections and a highly educated Pharisee, all living and working together. The geography of their lives has changed. 
Many of Jesus' followers began in the rural north of Israel and would have spent their whole lives there. The customs and traditions of the pace would have been well known and loved. But now we find the church in Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, a cosmopolitan menagerie of 300,000 people, many of whom had very lax morals, to say the least. From the rough houses of the nearby docks to the prostitution cult at the Temple of Daphne, Antioch was a jungle of immorality compared to Galilee. Of course, to some of us, this all sounds very exciting. This is the forefront of mission, the gospel breaking new ground. This is what we dream of. But in reality, there must have been many more of the ordinary believers who felt like we do currently. All this change was unsettling, bewildering, disorientating. They must have wondered what would happen next, where everything was headed. And as persecution stepped up, how long before they would be the victims of it? Change was everywhere. And there's no reason to believe that it would not have created the same sort of uncertainty and anxiety that it does in us. But clearly from the sheer pace of the book of Acts, the early church were not defeated by it. If they had have been, the church would have shrunk back to nothing rather than be the worldwide phenomenon that it is today. So how did they cope? Where did they find their strength? Well, as said earlier, it came from the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, whom they consciously sought out in prayer and worship. It was the Spirit that enabled them to meet all this change with boldness and seize each new opportunity as it came. In this short passage, I think we find five things that the Holy Spirit works at in believers' lives. We will briefly look at each one before applying them to what we are experiencing in the coronavirus crisis today. The first thing that the Spirit does in this passage is to speak. This is verse 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menean and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. As that little church gathered to pray and worship amid the noise and bustle of the sprawling city of Antioch, the Holy Spirit speaks a new word. There had already been a whirlwind of change in these believers' lives, but the winds were about to blow some more as a new beginning is called for. Barnabas and Saul were to be sent out. Now this is actually a big deal. This is a small, vulnerable congregation in a truly hazardous place, and they were being asked to let go of their two inspirational leaders. They would have looked up to Barnabas and Saul. They would have been reassured by their teaching and encouraged by their presence. The Spirit is asking them to make another uncomfortable change at an already uncomfortable time. But the Spirit does not ask of them anything they are incapable of. Notice the dynamics of this church. They may have been diverse in background, but they were united by their hunger for God. It tells us that they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. This is a group 
eagerly seeking God's will for their lives. Yes, their lives might be tough, but they know the only way to deal with that is for them to make more space for God within them, not less. We see again the great integrity of their faith in what follows. As soon as the Spirit speaks, they respond obediently. The book of Acts would have finished here if that church had stumbled and stuttered, if their fear had turned them inwards and led them to grasp hold of their leaders only for themselves. But no, the Spirit speaks and they respond. They willingly lay their hands on the heads of Saul and Barnabas and send them out with a prayer and a blessing. As we wrestle with the uncertainty of the coronavirus today, as we face changes that make us afraid and unsure of what the future may hold, rather than turn inwards, we too are to open our ears to the Spirit's voice. What might the Spirit be saying to us? What new things may he be calling us to? The only way we will hear is if we seek the Spirit out amongst the noise of the daily news and that fearful voice in our heads. If we keep worshipping, keep praying, keep turning to our Bibles with expectant hearts, we make space for the Spirit to speak the words that we so need to hear. The second thing that the Spirit does in his reading is to direct. In other words, the Spirit doesn't just speak once, he goes on leading and guiding. When the Spirit first spoke, he called for the setting apart of Saul and Barnabas. But from then on, the Spirit directs them where to go. Verse 4 says, The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Just look at the journey Saul and Barnabas make in these 13 verses. Antioch to Seleucia, Seleucia to Cyprus. Then once in Cyprus, they're directed from synagogue to synagogue and then on to Paphos. Again, that's a whole lot of change. Cyprus was very different to the mainland and we get the sense that Saul and Barnabas had no idea where they were going or where they would end up. They discovered that the Spirit was guiding their every step. There's so much uncertainty today. We all are having to make difficult decisions, not knowing exactly what we should be saying or doing. Up to a few days ago, teachers didn't know when children were coming back to school or for how many days a week or whether some of the work would still be online. Young people are uncertain about whether to go to university or whether to buy a house. Families don't know whether to go on holiday or visit distant relatives. We don't know what to do with our finances or our businesses. We don't even know whether to go out or stay in some days. We all are looking for direction, just as Saul and Barnabas were when they stepped into the unknown. But we can find it in the same place they did, through the Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit guide us today? Well, through scripture, the advice of other Christians, our conscience and common sense, words of knowledge, and the shutting of doors and the opening of others in response to our prayers. Amongst all the uncertainty, let us seek the direction of the Spirit in these ways. Similar to direction, the third thing we see the Spirit doing in this passage is to inspire the words of Saul and Barnabas. 
Verse 5 says, When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. As Saul and Barnabas journey through Cyprus, they are preaching the word of God, telling the good news of Jesus. This was clearly a tough task as they required a helper in John. At that time, there were Jews and Romans, Cypriots and Greeks, all who were either indifferent, hostile or entrenched in other religions and yet needed to hear the gospel. Their mission field was just as tough as ours is today. And yet we know from history that they had great success. How? Because the Spirit was inspiring their words and their actions, helping them to explain about Jesus and bring glory to God. You know, during this crisis, many of us have had more opportunities to talk about Jesus than we have ever had before. Our families, colleagues, neighbours and friends are all asking questions, all searching for explanation and hope. Yet although these opportunities keep presenting themselves, if you're anything like me, you know that they're still difficult to take. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to begin. Often we find ourselves so anxious we say nothing at all. Again, the approach of the early church was to seek the Spirit. Let us pray for inspiration. Pray that God will give us the opportunities and then the words to speak to those around us. The fourth thing that the Spirit does in this passage is to embolden Saul and Barnabas. It takes a lot of courage to up sticks from everything you know and travel somewhere new. It takes a lot of courage to preach in public. It takes a lot of courage to visit the house of a Roman proconsul when only a very short time ago the Romans had crucified Jesus. It takes a lot of courage to take on a sorcerer who is opposing your work. Everything here takes a lot of courage and it's because of that that we assume Saul and Barnabas were somehow superheroes, that they had a level of bravery well beyond our own. I'm sure they were both very brave people, but this passage takes care not to attribute their courage to that. Instead, it describes their boldness again as the work of the Spirit. As the Spirit guides them to the house of the proconsul and the sorcerer tries to intervene to stop the proconsul from coming to faith, this is what it says in verse 9 and 10. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. It takes a lot of courage to name evil for what it is, to call it out. Just ask Black Lives Matters campaigners. Saul is asked to do that here in full view of some very important people. But the passage tells us that he was filled with the Spirit for exactly that task. I don't need to remind us that there are many things that frighten us at the moment. The virus, dire predictions about climate change, economic recession, the shrinking church in the West. We've just thought about how difficult and scary it is to share our faith with non-Christians around us, even though for once they're asking questions we all then need to be emboldened. This is something we can again seek the Spirit's help with. 
As we pray, we are emboldened. As we worship, we are emboldened. As we fellowship with other Christians, we are emboldened. I pray that as we leave today, we may all be a little more emboldened by the Spirit to take the good news of the gospel to our island that desperately needs to hear it. Finally, we see in this reading that the Holy Spirit empowers Saul and Barnabas. It's no good just giving them the boldness to stand up to evil if they cannot then do anything about it. In that case, they'd just be speaking empty words. But that is not what happens at all. Saul says, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. In that moment, the sorcerer's magic was completely overcome. It was an act of such power that alongside their teaching, it led the proconsul to faith. This is the work of the Spirit in a nutshell. The Spirit is constantly trying to create signs of the kingdom that point people towards Jesus. And wonderfully, the Spirit wants to do this through us. Be it through answered prayer, prophetic action, healing, compassion, forgiveness, or bold teaching, the Spirit empowers us to do things that we could never do on our own to enable the gospel to spread. We may face many hindrances and obstacles. We may feel jaded and tired from lockdown. We may feel too weak, too old, too young, too afraid or too inexperienced. But there is no one that the Spirit cannot work through if we open ourselves up to him. When the Spirit speaks and calls us to something new, he will always empower us with what we need to be successful for the Lord. Let us have faith, ask the Spirit to fill us afresh and step out in confidence to make a difference on Isla at this time. It's now time for us to finish, but let's just draw together our thoughts. We're going through a time of great change. The coronavirus is making us all feel afraid and uncertain. We could turn inwards and hide away in an effort to protect ourselves and ride this out. Or we could look for new opportunities to spread the gospel and serve our neighbour. Saul and Barnabas discovered that in their time of need, the Holy Spirit worked to speak, direct, inspire, embolden and empower them. We can find the same. The Spirit does not just take us over. We don't become like puppets on a string. We too have a part to play in this. In this passage, the church in Antioch worshipped and prayed to make space for the Spirit in their life. But if we seek the Spirit's help and step out in faith, God will do the rest and we will see great things happen. In the change of a crisis, lives can be changed by God. First ours and then those to whom we are sent.